So if you have a Bible, you want to turn to Matthew chapter 28. Um, it's going to be a little bit before we get there, but I promise you we will get there um, at some point. But Matthew 28, um, we'll get there in a bit. Uh, how many of you have been watching the Olympics? Like, it's like, I think there was one night my wife stayed up till like 2 o'clock because she missed it and she recorded it, and uh, I had already seen um, the Phelps Lochte race, and like it was like 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm asleep, and she woke me up to see again this race. Um, I think uh, like two nights ago, I did the same thing where I didn't see it, and I recorded it, and I came home, and um, I guess it's just fun, isn't it? Um, two of my favorite events are swimming and gymnastics. One of it might be that I'm like an athlete, and my daughter's in gymnastics, and so I'm like, you know, 2024 is what we're shooting for. Next, Gabby Douglas, I mean, she's got this. Um, we had gymnastics class on Friday, and there was a little bit more of a level of intensity that was kind of interesting, even in, my te- and even in Mikhail's teacher um, it was, it was kind of fun. We're like, you know, um, but, uh, the Olympics, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's awesome to see these athletes compete at such a high level. Um, it's actually something that the scripture talks about in first Corinthians chapter nine. It says this, do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, okay, or, or a, a gold medal that apparently has like a little over $200 value um, that they have to pay some like $8,000 in taxes on it or something like that, which is kind of weird. Um, but, but we an imperishable, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Um, like you ever watch some of the swimming events and you, like, you see people disqualified for like, you know, starting off too quick or like, like how disheartening would that be to come to the realization that you, like you missed it, that you were, you were disqualified, you were DQ'd from this event. Okay. Um, unless you're like, you know, the badminton team that is trying to like work the Olympics and you know, you're disqualified and there's. I don't know if you're like excited about that or because that was kind of the game plan, right? I didn't see it, but apparently they're like intentionally whiffing and it was just more than obvious. Um, but, But think about this for a second. Think about all this hard work and all this energy and you get to the point where in the end, someone says, you know, you missed it. Like I can't get this thought out of my mind of, of getting to heaven one day and coming to the realization, it's as if, like, I missed it. Like, I missed the point. I missed the purpose. I missed the, the purpose that God had for me in my life. So I kind of want to give some purpose. Um, this is part two to kind of what we did last week. And last week, I kind of started with this question of, like, why are we here? Like, why do we meet? Why are we doing what we're doing? Like, what is this really about? And we began to, to talk about a disciple as one who's called out, this called out identity as a disciple that Jesus says, come follow me. Come and be in relationship with me. Walk with me. And he begins to show us our, our identity. And we, we talked about, like, it's a call to come and die. It's not this awesome, like, fun road of, like, woohoo, we're going to do this. Um, but it's a call to come and die. I can imagine many of these Olympians, I mean, 
You've seen some of the video clips where they'll um, do a side um, show on like, you know, Phelps or Gabby Douglas and like kind of their journey and the hard work and like really for them to get where they got, it's a call to come and die. Like they had to give up so much. Like even as, even as parents are interviewed. But this call to follow Jesus is a call to come and die. We talked about that last week. We talked about this phrase that the fruit reveals the root. That, that what's going on in the outside of our lives is a, is a mirror into the root, so to speak, of our hearts. And I gave this definition of a disciple uh, last week. That is, a disciple is someone who learns to be like Jesus and learns to do what Jesus could do. So last week we looked at the, the called out identity of a disciple, and, and this morning I want to look at this, the sent out identity of a disciple. Okay? They were not just consumeristic people, consumeristic followers of Jesus, but that he sends us out for a purpose. Uh, so let's pray before we do that. Jesus, I'm desperate for your spirit to come and change us. Jesus, my words, um, my illustrations, my ability to keep the attention of those that are here, God, really don't have much weight this morning. But would your spirit, would you engage us? God, maybe there's some here that are like, I'm just done. Like, I don't feel like I have purpose. I don't feel like I have meaning. I don't feel like I can really know what's going on. Or maybe there's some that feel like they have purpose, but it's not really in what you've called them to have purpose in. Jesus, would we come to grips with our identity and be sent out in that identity this morning? God, as I pray so often, may we never be the same as a result. In Christ's name, amen. So here's the foundational truth that I want you to want you to grip this morning. You're a disciple of Christ. If you're a Christian here, you're a disciple, okay? And a disciple is your identity. Okay? Used way more often in the scripture than the word Christian is the word disciple. A disciple is someone who learns under Jesus and learns to do what Jesus could do, and that's your identity. Okay? Um what we what we do so often um, is our, we find our identity more in our roles, okay? Whether you're, um, you know, the job that you have, you, you find your identity as a, as a father or as a husband or as a wife or uh, as a mother, you find your identity as this employer or this employee or you find your identity in these different roles. But the truth of the matter is, is our identity is we're disciples. And out of that identity, we function in the roles of those other things because here's the thing. Our identity is eternal. It will last forever. Roles are temporary. The thing that God's called you to, specifically here and now, are, are temporary things. And we focus on these temporary things, and we miss the eternal thing that we're called to live in, and then live out of. I came to grips with this, thinking about disciples this, uh, this week, is that so many people are discipled by culture. You get what I'm talking about? Like, we live in a culture that's, that's feeding us all these truths about here's how you handle money, and here's how you handle sex, and um, here's how you handle debates, and here's how you handle all these different situations, and, and they're more or less discipling 
people to buy into their system, whatever that is. On whatever topic, on whatever issue, we're disciples of something, of culture. So many people are disciples of culture, but, but as Christians, we're called, we're disciples of Christ. We're called to push back what is dark in the world, to live different from the world, and have a purpose that's other than the purpose that the world has. But here's something else that, that I, I think we have a tendency to do as well as, as Christians. So we find our identity in the church. Let me give you an example. How many times when you begin to engage in conversation um, with, an, with a non-Christian, you go to your church? Like, your conversation goes, so well, I go to, I go to a church in Florissant, small church, newer church, here's what we do, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah? Like, but here's the thing. Like, that's just so secondary. Like, and we wonder why our culture thinks that Christians think the answer that we have for them is, you just need to come to my church. And so they think that that's the end. That's why our cultures push into this religious pursuit is because they think it's just about coming to church. But in reality, what if, as God's people, we found our identity as God's people and our conversations went more like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Here's what I'm about. Here's what I do. Here's how I live. Oh, yeah, I do go to church. That's just, it's kind of so much of a secondary thing. So we got to be careful not to find our identity in the church. But I want to give a definition. I really want to work off of this definition. I'm going to come out of a book um, called Gospel-Centered Discipleship by uh, Jonathan Dodson. Incredible book. Uh, the name's in your bulletin. Uh, go get that book. Um, but here's the definition that is given in this book uh, for disciple. A disciple is rational, relational, and missional. A disciple is a ra- rational, a learner, relational, a family, and missional, a missionary. And what I want to do is I just want to unpack for the rest of our time those three ideas, and I want to show biblically where they come from and how they flesh themselves out in our lives every day. And so first one, rational, a learner. Okay, as, as a disciple, okay, whether you're a disciple of, of culture, whether you're, I hope you're more of a disciple of Christ, I hope that I'm more of a disciple of Christ than a disciple of culture, okay? But you're, but you're learning, Okay, our eyes are opened, our ears are opened, and we're taking in information from something. Okay, hopefully as Christians it's more from Scripture than it is Twitter. Okay, but we're learners. There's information that's being processed, the information of the truth of God's Word. Okay, Jesus labored to teach His disciples the realities of His kingdom. Okay, an information-based thing that has a transforming power. But um, here's a passage in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So notice what it says. Proclaiming the gospel, okay? Which is more or less teaching, okay? Right now, we're sitting in this element of you're a learner, now, you have a choice whether to, whether to heed the truth of Scripture or whether to actually be teachable in this moment. 
But information is, is going out right now, and there's rational thinking, or maybe some of it's irrational, I don't know, but like, um, there's this, this thinking where we're students. And as disciples, we learn who Jesus is, and we learn to do what Jesus has done. Matthew 24, verse 14 says, the gospel, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Once again, the proclamation of the truth of the kingdom of God, the brokenness in this world, that, that God sent his son Jesus to restore what was broken by his death, burial, and resurrection, and that he rose again, and he sent Christians on a mission to push back what is dark in the world, to come to brokenness and bring hope. When I say the kingdom of God, that's what I'm talking about. That's what the scripture's talking about. Okay? One more passage, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel. Okay, the truth of God saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, so rational learners, information um, based on on some level. Um, But the second part was a disciple is relational. Okay, Um, a, a family. I love this passage in John chapter 12, and these are all on the screen. I'm not really giving you time to go to them. We're going to spend the bulk of our time in Matthew 28. Um... But Matthew chapter 12, verses 48 and 49 says this. Um, but he, that being Jesus, replied to the man who told him, who, who is your mother and who are your brothers? So he, Jesus has asked this question like, who, who, who's your family? And what does Jesus do? In verse 49, and stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Okay? Jesus is poised, is looking at his his. Those that he's called to follow him. Those that he's called to, to, to look at his life and learn to do what he's done and, and be who he is. And he said, this is my family. And he spent the majority of the time with them, investing in them, being with them, saying, watch my life. Like, imitate me. Follow me. Um. It's interesting. I would love to get inside the mind of a four-year-old, especially my four-year-old. Um, but one of the things that my daughter, the stage that she's in, as we talk about Jesus with her, um, is she, she asked me last night, we're laying in bed, and she's like, Daddy, is Jesus magic? Here's, here's what she meant by that. Like, every night we're like, Mikhail, Jesus is with you. Talk to Jesus. And she's like, Daddy, Jesus isn't here. She's like, he's not right here. He's not right here. He's not over there. I don't see him, Dad. And I'm like, man, God, what do I do with that? Like, it's a really good point. Like, but he's real. Like, you know, and, and so she's trying to get her mind around this idea. And so last night, she's like, Dad, is Jesus magic? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, he's magic. You better believe it. Um, cause, cause, and then she's like, well, is Jesus with you? Like when you leave my room? I'm like, yeah. So he's not with me. No, he's with you too. Is he with mommy, daddy? Yeah. Well, then he's not with you and he's not, you know, Jesus is everywhere. She can't get her mind around that. And it's awesome to watch her wrestle with that. Like that Jesus is relational. 
Like, how do you do that? How does that look? How does that work? And as a father, as a disciple, my role is to embody Jesus to her, to incarnate the reality of Jesus to my daughter, who's like, I don't understand who Jesus is or what it means to walk with Jesus or what it means to follow Jesus or, or pray to him or live for him. And so oftentimes there's a disconnect because I'm giving her a lot of information. She's a learner all the time. She doesn't always want to be a learner, but I'm giving her a lot of information. I'm teaching her a lot of things. And then, you know, I'm like, here's what you need to be about. So here's what you do, or here, here's the information. Now go do this. But the disconnect is the relational piece in the middle where it's like, I'm going to show you who Jesus was. I'm going to embody the reality and the truth of Jesus in my everyday life. It should leave us scratching our heads on some level because he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's all-powerful and everywhere, and he's amazing. But the last part of the definition says that a disciple is missional or a missionary. You know, missional is just this massive buzzword in the church today. Um, basically, it just means disciple someone who's realized their purpose and lives that out every day. That's okay? a missionary in every context, in every sphere of life, everywhere their foot touches the soil or the carpet or the tile or whatever it touches. You're a missionary or you go. Now, let's go to Matthew 28. Here's what it says. Well, let's start at 18 just to just to do it. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Like here, here's the truth, and maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, and here's the truth I, I want to hear, I want you to hear from me, is that as, as Christians, we're people who found something. We've found a God who's great and who's worthy and who we want to live for and who we want to know. But, but more than that, we've been found by someone who's pursued us and called us into relationship with himself and given us a purpose bigger than our jobs that some days you just don't want to go to, bigger than um, even our families and bigger than even um, our hobbies and bigger than all of these things, but give purpose to these things. Bigger than the pain, but give purpose to the pain. And in that reality, we have a purpose. We have a mission that we go. We're sent out by Jesus into our kid's bedroom or into our cubicle or into the streets or wherever you go. We have purpose because we've found someone. We've been found by someone. And Jesus comes and he says, here's the deal. He gives a command. And what's the command in Matthew 28 that we just read? It looks like it's go. The command is make disciples. And when you study the original, it's surrounded by three participles. Going, baptizing, and teaching. So the command is make disciples... So I want to talk about how we do that as we're going, as we're baptizing, and as we're teaching, okay? So first off, gospel going. 
Okay, now, you and I, first of all, have to come to grips with this, this authority piece. Because Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, some of us sit here and, you know, there's so many people who are like, I got a problem with that. Because doesn't absolute authority corrupt absolutely? Like, for, to give someone absolute authority, like on some level, that's going to cause problems. Right? So the idea that Jesus has all this authority and he's going to come to me and define my purpose for my life? What? I, I don't know I want to be about that. Because I kind of want to have some say. I kind of want to define my purpose. But what we have to come to grips with is the idea that Acts 17 says that in him we live and move and have our being. So apart from the reality of who Christ is, like I, I don't even exist. My being can't be because it's gone. It's dead. Okay? A holy God. Like we can't fathom the idea of someone actually doing things perfect and right and just. Because we live around people who aren't perfect, who aren't right, who don't do things justly, who do a lot of injustice around a lot of debates and a lot of crazy issues. I'm sure we all love the Chick-fil-A debate and all the craziness. And I was just reading through some of the stuff on Twitter. And it was just like a punch in the face. Like, like what do we do with this? Rick and I are talking about giving some time here in a couple weeks to talk about that. Talk about that issue, but we'll leave that for later. But authority. Like it's, it's where my four-year-old's at. Like the, way, the saying in my house, according to my daughter, is Daddy is in charge of Mommy, and Mommy's in charge of Mikhail, and Mikhail's in charge of Tobin. <laughs> so we're wrestling through authority. And the other day, she's like... Daddy, mommy said I could do this. And I said, uh, I say you can't, babe. And she's like, because you're the boss of mommy. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> John chapter 17. Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. One of my main prayers for my kids, for our church. God, don't take us out of the world. Don't separate us from the world. Don't make us these holy rollers. Like, like, don't take them out of the world. He prays this over his disciples, but keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And check this out, verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This is, the, this is what Jesus is praying about his, his, those that would come to follow him, those that would give their lives for him. He's saying what? sent them out into the world to live different, to be different, to be defined by my purpose and not be defined by what the culture says. So I want you to think for a second. Like I want you to think about the week that you're going into this week. Who are you going to come in contact with? Like roll, roll through that in your head. Get some faces. Who is it? Who's the person you sit next to throughout the day, you interact with throughout the day? Kid, boss, employee, neighbor. Lady at the DMV. Like who, who is it? <laughs> okay? Now get, get that in your head. And I, w- I want you to think about this. Like they have a soul. They have a soul. They're a human being. 
no matter how they're feeling or how they're treating you or how they're treating others, they have issues in their life. Just like we have issues in our life. And the truth of the matter is that as Christians, we go with the gospel. So we go to them. And we're not quick to be judgmental. We're not quick to react this way or this way. Or, but we come in grace because God's come in grace to us as his people who's, who saved us. We, we're quick to forgive because no sinful act against you is greater than any sinful act you've committed against the holy God. So we go with the gospel. And I want you to think about that. As you go this week, as you interact with the Christians in your world, as you interact with the non-Christians in your world, you're going with the truth of the gospel. I'm going to define gospel in just a second. But you go with that truth. Okay? Friday night, I went on a date with my wife. To Bush Stadium, see a Cardinals game. Free parking. Free game. Great seats. Hung out with my wife. It was awesome. We're leaving the stadium, walking down Clark Street, okay? We passed like five homeless people, okay? And anytime we see homeless people, like many of you, like our hearts just break. And it's kind of like, what do we do? Like, how do we handle this? And like, they're everywhere. And like, I just don't know what to do. And so um, we get all the way to the car. And like, kind of like when we pass, after we passed like four or five homeless people, we start talking about it. We start talking about how, like, how you're feeling. Like. And there was this one lady who had a sign. She's just weeping. And the sign said, single mother, homeless, lost home to the bank. And like, like that just bothered me, okay? <laughs> and we get to the car, and uh, after a little conversation, like, we're like, let's go back. So we walk all the way back, and before we walked all the way back, like, Danielle went through a purse. She's like, what kind of, what? we found 26 bucks, that's all we had, all the cash we had. We're like, we're going to give her 26 bucks. We got a lot more, we're fine. We're gonna, so we got 26 bucks, and we walk up there, and we sit down on Clark Street, and we talk to this lady for an hour. And she's just unpacking her story. And it's unbelievable, because when we passed her, when I passed this woman, like everyone else passed her, and I looked at her, I just felt something in my soul, and I can't describe it, but I was just like, God was drawing me to her. And so we talked about this. That's why we went back, and we start hearing her story, and she has a degree from a school in Chicago in agriculture. And several years ago, her mom died, and her insurance was tied under her mom. Now, I don't know how much, you know, some of the story might not be completely true. Like, we don't know, but this is what she's telling us. Um, her insurance was tied to her mom, and her mom passed away, and so then she didn't have insurance, and then um, she couldn't get medicine because she has, what was it, Asperger's? So she can't control herself sometimes, and so she needs medication. She's like, she can't get medication. She doesn't have any money. She has a two-year-old daughter. She's homeless. She lives in an abandoned building that she described the floor as just shards of glass. And so we begin talking to her. 
And we talked to her so long that she um, couldn't ride the metro um, back to where she needed to get to. So we gave her a ride. And come to find out, she used to go to First Christian Church of Orson. She named about 10 people that I have their number in my cell phone, and I could call them right now, and they would, it wouldn't be like anything weird. Hey, how are you? She named 10 people that, that we know very closely. I don't know what will come of that. We can't contact her. She has Danielle's number. But like all, all we wanted to do was just go in the truth of like, okay, we had a plan and we're kind of on a date. And, but God's like, no, this, is what it's, this is what tonight looks like. It's not what you think it looks like. This is what tonight looks like. And I had to be somewhere in the morning. We didn't get home until 1 o'clock and I had to call and cancel that. Because God had an agenda that was different than my agenda. It was different than our agenda. And, and as you go with the gospel, you find a purpose that's greater than yourself. You find a mission that's m- more brilliant than your agenda. Okay, here's what we're doing today. Here's what we're doing today. And that's great. Do those things, but know that when, when you live as a spirit-filled Christian, God's going to come along and say, okay, we're going we're gonna to tweak this here. We're going to tweak this here. And you're going to go with the gospel and you're going to give grace. And here at the end of the night, this girl, I said, we want to pray for you. And she said, no, I want to pray over you. And she grabbed our hands and she prayed for us. She was brilliant. She, she prayed for our marriage. We talked about our daughter and, and she was like, yeah, I'm no mess with you. Marriage is stressful. I want to pray for you and pray that God strengthens you. And like, it was just, it was, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. So when we go with the gospel, we have purpose. And God sets our agenda. This is how he calls us to live every day. But the second thing is um, gospel baptizing. And, and this one, when I first started like reading through this and studying this, like I was like, okay, this one's kind of boring. It's like, we just dunk somebody like, okay, moving on. Like, you know, they whatever. But this is, there's so much more to this. Okay, now how cool is it that, like, when someone gives their life to Jesus, like, God's like, throw a party and dunk them. Like, I mean, that's kind of fun, right? Like, anytime you dunk people, maybe you haven't done that, you should do it. It's pretty cool. Or maybe you've been on the receiving end of that, and it hasn't been very fun. But, but, but get this, okay. I want you to think back to your baptism. If you're a Christian and you've been baptized, I want you to think back to your baptism. Okay? Now, I want a one word or phrase description of that experience audibly back to me. What's a one word or phrase description of your experience being baptized in the water, out of the water? Anybody? Huh? Liberating. Peace. Scary. What else? I was 15. It was in a swimming pool, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, and I just remember a celebration. Like, do you remember on Easter when we baptized the Joseph and we were outside there and after, like, you know, we brought them out of the water, Jeff and I, like, we just, like, erupted in celebration. Why? You're like, you always yell when someone gets thrown in the water, right? Like, that's, 
But why? Because here's the thing. Baptism, not the act, but the symbol, is a picture of identity. Okay, so what is the gospel? The gospel is the perfect life of Jesus who came to this earth and was killed, crucified, buried, rose again, given to us by faith. So as we are Christians who go in this baptized reality that the life of Christ is in you, like we get down and we get discouraged and we get like, what are we doing? Like the life of Christ is in you. So when we celebrate someone who's dunked in the water and brought out of the water, what we're celebrating is a picture of what's happened to them spiritually. That they've died to themselves and they've been raised to a purpose that, yes, guarantees an eternal place in heaven, but more than that, guarantees relationship with the Savior who loves us. And we've been known by, and we know, and we go with. It's when when the passage of the scripture says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what it's talking about is coming to this grips, to the grips of this picture of all that it means to be a Christian. That I'm set free from the bondage of sin, of living for things that just don't quite do it for me. That's why we keep going back and keep going back and keep going back and keep going back. And we have this power as we go to our kids and our coworkers and our, our spouses and our friends. And as we go to Christians who we're investing our lives in, we have the power of the gospel at work in our very hearts. And maybe, you, maybe you're here and you haven't been baptized. Now come talk to me afterwards. Come talk to me afterwards. But the last thing is gospel teaching. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus says this in Luke, or Luke chapter 24. The gospel writer says this. Um, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, that being Jesus, interpreted to them, the disciples, all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus is the storyteller, but he's also the point of the story. He's the point. So the gospel is the the center of of making disciples. Okay, but what we've done is we we create this dichotomy in our minds of like, so even as as maybe I'm talking here, you're thinking primarily in the realm of evangelism, the proclamation of the gospel for the winning of a soul to the family of God. Okay? Or maybe you're thinking primarily discipleship, the maturing of a Christian deeper into their faith. Okay, but I want to read a quote out of the book, Gospel-Centered Discipleship. I found this incredibly helpful. It's rather lengthy. Um, We got that up there? Here's what it says. 
Christians who internalize the gospel of grace more and more are compelled to spread the gospel more and more. The problem, however, is that very often the gospel we preach and teach is malnourished. In evangelism, the gospel is frequently reduced to a spiritual ticket to guarantee a reservation in heaven. This view of the gospel makes joining the mission of God or submitting to Jesus as Lord optional. It teaches us that the gospel is all we need to cash in the ticket when death comes knocking at our door. When this view of the gospel is adopted in discipleship, it relegates the gospel to evangelistic activity. As a result, discipleship must become something different. We force it um, to set itself apart by focusing on something more advanced like theology or piety or social justice. These views on evangelism and discipleship stem from a gross misunderstanding of the Great Commission. Namely, that the commission is centered on either the mission of soul winning or the mission of Christian maturing. These interpretations are gospel anemic. The Great Commission is not evangelism or, dis- or discipleship centered. It's gospel centered. Rightly understood, the gospel calls the evangelized to more than belief to obtain a ticket and the disciples to more than spreading an anemic gospel which must be beefed up through spiritual disciplines or social justice. Jesus' disciples would never have made this gross error. They knew the gospel was of kingdom proportions, animating and laying claim to all of life. The gospel makes all-encompassing demands, and what the gospel demands, it also supplies. The disciples knew that the gospel, not mission, was the invigorating power of Jesus' commission. This is why they devoted their lives to the mission of making disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching the gospel. I want to ask you a question. What is it that drives you? Like, what's your, like what's your purpose? Like, why do, why do you get out of bed every morning? Is it for a paycheck that might not be there next month? Is it for a house that might not be there next month? Like, what drives you? What's your purpose? Jesus comes and he says, I have a purpose that will blow away your teeny tiny pursuits and give you an identity that you can run in and find joy in, in the midst of pain, in the midst of difficulty. That bring meaning to your marriage, that will bring meaning to your family, that will bring meaning to your job, that will bring meaning to the, the lack of what you want but don't have or the loss of someone, or the brokenness in your life, it will bring meaning to those things. So maybe you're sitting here, and you're like, like I just, I don't know. Like, I don't know that I can do this. I don't, I don't know. I can really do what Jesus has called me to do. That I really want to. And I'll end with this thought. It's the thought we give our kids Every single night, we're putting them to bed. I say to them, God has not given you, and they respond to me, a spirit of fear. And I say to them, why? And they respond to me, because they've given me himself. At the end of the Great Commission, Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always. So in this purpose-filled mission, 
Jesus says, I give you me, the eternal God. I give you myself. I want you to experience me. I want you to go with me. He's like, I don't want to go with you. I want you to go with me. Because you think you're a good, you know, trip planner, a good navigator. You're not. Like, I want you to go with me because I'm with you. Always to the end. There's no greater joy than actually taking Jesus up on his offer. No greater joy. Jesus, the thought of, of you being this distant, authoritative, tyrant, God is scary, but you're not. You're with us. The things you call us to. You come with us, you, you, you lead, and you are with us every moment of the way through the difficulties of our lives, through the difficulty of marriage, through the difficulty of making disciples and maturing people in the faith, through the difficulty of trying to be a witness in our world to say we found something and we've been found by someone. You're with us. God, not just right now, not just in this church building, not just on a Sunday morning, but always and forever to the end, you're with us. And we just, so we just stand in that. God, I just want to stand in that this morning. I just want to sit under the weight of that. God, would you lead us to repent of our foolish pursuits? Would you come and throw ourselves, enable us to throw ourselves under the waterfall of your grace? I pray in Jesus' name.